Father, I thank you that your people, the body of Christ, can come together today in fellowship. I ask, Father God, that you would transform us by the power of your word, that you'd increase our desire for fellowship with one another. And I ask, Father God, that you'd prepare us to be used for the glorification of your kingdom. I thank you, Father God, that you love us and you've bought us and purchased us with the blood of your Son. And now you call us your children. I ask, Father God, that you'd help us. Continue to use us and to be glorified in all that we say and do. I ask that these words this morning would be of you and that the Holy Spirit would use these words to transform us deepen our, our lives. Use us, Father God. In Christ's name, amen. Children are excused to go downstairs and celebrate. And there they go. What amazing. It is always so fun to watch that on Sunday mornings. I see the kids go downstairs. We're continuing our series, Finding Happy. And today we look at, I believe it's the seventh beatitude. It's from Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this presents a really glorious idea, the idea of peace. Everybody wants peace. And we're surrounded by a culture and a world and a society where just, there's just very little peace, if any at all. There was a time when there was peace. There was peace in the garden. And what God created was very good. There were no flaws. Adam and Eve were in perfection. There was peace. But everything changed. It changed when Adam and Eve sinned. They succumbed to the deception of Satan. And through that human sin, all of God's creation was corrupted and there was no more peace. To rescue humanity and to restore peace, God introduced his plan and and in that plan, as he introduced that plan, he, he passed judgment on Satan. And in that judgment, God says this, this is Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And these are the first words we see in Scripture of God's plan for the Redeemer, for, for Christ. And these words announce God's solution of providing a Savior to redeem humanity and to restore peace. What we then find in Scripture is stories of famine and disease and warfare, betrayal, captivity, and evil. These are are Satan's hindrances of God's redemptive plan. His plan has always been opposed. Through all the chapters of the Bible, we find the unfolding of God's plan. We start with peace in the garden. It was wonderful. It was perfect. It was peace. That peace was lost because of sin. And then we see the the redemptive plan of God developed and, and peace restored 
by Christ on the cross. And when the Prince of Peace returns, He will bring eternal peace. Numerous places in Scripture, God calls Himself the the God of peace. But there's no peace in the world. There's, there's, There's no peace. And there's... There's two reasons. It's basic. There's two reasons why there is no peace. One reason is Satan's opposition. And the other reason is humanity's disobedience. The continued human sin nature. Sinful men, sinful men and women and Satan are at war with God. Paul writes this in Romans 8. Verses 6 and 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In our human sinful state, we're unable to get along. Whether, Whether that's in our marriages and family or culturally, our sinful state keeps us from from peace. Every relationship is difficult and fragile. Just look around. Our society is plagued with with all sorts of mental and emotional illnesses. Marriages and families are broken. There's violence in schools and stores and churches and parks and, and streets. There are protests and rallies and demonstrations and, and riots, and it all just seems to, to be continuous. And in the midst of all of that, humanity keeps trying to find peace and establish peace. <coughs> but in all of humans' attempts at peace, the best thing that humans can do produces nothing more than a truce. Our own strength brings a truce and nothing more. This is important because understand what a truce is. A a, a truce is the temporary cessation of hostility. And this is true whether it's international conflicts or interpersonal conflicts. Human effort cannot resolve the disagreements, misunderstandings, and hatreds which means that the conflicts only simmer under the surface. They fester, and eventually they grow, and the hostilities just begin over again. That's the reality. So you have a truce, but it it doesn't last. By telling us peacemakers are blessed, Jesus is also implying that peace is possible. Real peace, the peace that Jesus is speaking of, is not a truce. The peace of this beatitude and the peace described in the Bible is very different than the peace that the world struggles for. Biblical godly peace has nothing to do with politics, armed forces, or organized human effort. God's peace is not negotiated. It's not achieved through compromises or eloquent truces and treaties. Biblical peace is not achieved in any of the typical human ways. And it is not peace at any price. Biblical peace 
boldly confronts the issues. It, it confronts the problems and it, and it seeks to actually solve those problems. Biblical peace then is peace in the heart. And that peace in the heart is a condition that can only be achieved by the power of God. There's a difficult statement that Jesus makes that we have to address when we talk about peace because in Matthew 10, 34, he seems to make a statement that's just the opposite of what he says in the Beatitude. He says in 10, 34, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So we have two ideas that don't seem to work together. And I believe that if, if we understand, if we define peace correctly, this allows us to bring some balance to these two statements and, and an understanding. To begin with, the normal way that people think of peace is the absence of conflict, right? Peace means there's no conflict, there's no strife. But the reality is, in that thinking, the only place you're going to find the absence of conflict is in the cemetery. God's peace. God's peace is the presence of and work of righteousness. His righteousness. And that work is, is in the human heart. That work of His in the heart that brings righteousness. And, and that righteousness then brings right relationships. God's idea of peace is not limited to just stopping war, not just stopping conflict. His peace is creating righteousness in a heart, which then allows two people to come together in love. God's peace is very costly. And there's great opposition to His peace. And this is because God's peace deals with the core workings of black-hearted, wretched sinners who selfishly want to continue their sinful lifestyles. We want to continue in our sins, which means that we're in conflict with God. As we've seen throughout this series in the Beatitudes, a, a person must first mourn over their sin and cry out to God for mercy. Or the heart will never be satisfied with God's perfect righteousness. In Matthew 10, the sword that Jesus is speaking about, the sword that Christ brings, is His Word. The sword of truth and righteousness. And because there is sin in the heart, there's no, no, no peace. Sin in the heart, no peace. So his sword comes to cut before it heals. There's surgery. God must do surgery on our sinful hearts before his healing peace can take hold. Something in our heart has to be dealt with. Through Ezekiel, God said this, is, is uh, chapter 36, beginning in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart. Uh, and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The reality is that the the greatest enemy of peace is sin. And because sin separates men from the perfection of God, we, we don't find peace. There is continual strife and conflict in the world because the hearts of men and women are filled with sin. Jeremiah tells us in, in Jeremiah 17.9, and the heart is deceitfully above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Wicked hearts cannot produce peace no matter what the compromise, treaty, plan, or political scheming. The wicked heart can't achieve peace. Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. The The human race has no possibility of peace and had no possibility of peace. There is no way there could be peace until Jesus came to the cross. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for sin and made it possible for the hearts of men and women to be cleansed from sin. As God cleanses the hearts of believers, they become messengers of peace. This is the statement that Jesus makes in this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those who have believed in the work of Jesus and have received God's forgiveness of sin are peacemakers. We're the carriers. We're the messengers of God. We bring peace. Paul, Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And that passage, reconciled, is another word for peace. God has called his people to be peacemakers. So how do we how do we do the work of the peacemaker? The the first place we go to know how we are peacemakers is to be at peace with God himself. A peacemaker has made peace with God because they've accepted and believed in the gospel of peace. I love that phrase gospel of peace. It's, it's a beautiful phrase, and, and it's used several places in the New Testament. One familiar place is in Ephesians 6.15. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of, of, of peace. We're to go, and we're to take the gospel of peace wherever we go. Before accepting the gospel, we were enemies of God. We fought against God, but but Christ died and and rose from the dead, and His righteousness imputed or is credited to to the believer. Paul writes in in Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. 
The gospel brings believer peace with God. The war is over. When you come to Christ, you find peace. When there is sin in our lives, we have a problem. No one can be a peacemaker without being at peace with God. This idea of being at peace with God also is something that has to be maintained. Now, now be real careful here because I don't want you to, to come away thinking that I'm teaching that you can lose your salvation, that you sin and you lose your salvation. Your sin interferes with your relationship with God, but you don't lose your salvation. When, when my children sinned against their father, when they were disobedient, they didn't stop being my children we just had some stuff we had to work through. When there's sin in our lives, that peace with God is interrupted in our communication with God. Our communication with God is hindered. We don't lose our salvation. What, what happens is our relationship with our Heavenly Father is affected. So how do we maintain this peace with God? This is something that John teaches. It's, it's confessing our sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first way that we're peacemakers is to be at peace with God. Another way we are peacemakers is helping others be at peace with God. This is evangelism. Telling people the gospel. Telling people how to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. You're a great peacemaker when you proclaim the gospel of peace. Romans 10.15 And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Peacemakers bring peace by bringing people to a peaceful relationship with God, preaching the gospel, preaching Christ is preaching peace. A peacemaker also helps people be at peace with each other. A peacemaker brings people together to live without sinful conflicts and hatred. A little bit later in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 23, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. A peacemaker encourages going to others and working for peace. Reconciliation between brothers and sisters is the work of a peacemaker. I understand this in a really personal way because growing up, um, there were five of us. I'm the perfect one because I'm right in the middle. My older brother and I, David, um, David and I never got along. It was really ugly in many, many ways. He was angry. I was angry. It, it was not good. We, I, I think it is safe to say we hated one another. And he, he has a low threshold of pain. And 
I'm not bragging, but I have a pretty high threshold of pain. So I could poke at him and win. It was great. And so much of that relationship was, was so dysfunctional. It, it, it was painful. And, and I remember the, the violence that was involved. It, it was, there was so much hatred. I, I beat him once in the garden with a hoe and I broke the hoe handle. It was ugly. I was also so, so filled with anger. It was drinking and, and I, it, it was just a mess. And, and early in the 70s, my older brother enlisted in the Air Force. And, um, and he left. And, and, you know, because of that conflict, I'm kind of going, yeah, he's gone. But in 1975, early in 1975, some of his Air Force buddies, literally from the stories I've heard from, from him and them, they literally drug him to a Billy Graham crusade. And what happened at the Billy Graham crusade? He got saved. My older brother came to Christ. Well, later that, that summer... David came home on leave, and I was astonished. I mean, this guy is weird. Now, I didn't like him before, but now he's just strange. And he and a friend, is, uh, the friend's name is Mark. Mark and David were sitting on our front porch, and they're talking. I'm going, these guys are really whacked. They're crazy. This is nuts. This, I can't believe this. What, what is going on here? But I kept listening. So I was really into parties and music and doing stuff, mostly driven out of my dysfunctionality. And they said, hey, Bill, you want to go to a free concert? Well, well, who in, at that point, I mean, I just graduated from high school, and, yeah, a free concert? Yeah, I'll go to a free concert. So I went with them to a concert. The concert was up in Estes Park in Colorado, and it was the Christian Artisans Music Camp. It was a whole evening of Christian music and testimony. And I heard a guy give his testimony, and God got me. I came to Christ. That, that was so amazing. Because one of the, the biggest reasons that I know something happened was that there was no more animosity between my older brother and I. He prays for me and my ministry, and I pray for him and his ministry. We get along. As a matter of fact, in many ways, we get along better than the rest of the, the siblings. There are some doctrinal things that we don't see eye to eye on. There's still some things in life that I kind of go, David, what are you thinking? And I'm sure he does the same thing. But there is peace. We get along. He and I would stand shoulder to shoulder, back to back, and die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's peace. Why? There's peace because God intervened in two hearts and produced righteousness in those hearts. And in that righteousness, those two, two souls, those two men who hated each other, now love each other in Christ. 
This is the work of peace that God is speaking of. The issue is righteousness. The sin between you and whoever you are in conflict with is eliminated by the righteousness God has given through Christ. God takes this even further. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 44, God goes even further. Love your enemies, he says. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The peacemaker loves their enemies. And this is a demonstration that they are the sons of God, children of God. This whole idea of peacemaking, this is not easy. But it's commanded by God. As believers, this is what we're to do. And the result... The result of being a peacemaker, what does Jesus say? The result of being a peacemaker is being called the sons of God. And sons there is from huios, and, and it's an ex, it expresses dignity and honor in, in a relationship of a child with a parent. This is fantastic. This is, this is amazing and wonderful. There's nothing that can compare to being called a child of God. You are a child of God. If you're a believer, you're a child of God. Huios is a word that is used to designate character and quality. You're a believer. You are a messenger of peace. You're a peacemaker. You're God's child. This just is mind-boggling if you stop and think about it. God calls us His children. You are his child. Think about what that means. Think about what it is to be a child of God. Wow, amazing. God, the master, the creator of the entire universe. Everything that exists is his. And his love is for, for his children is greater than his love for all of creation. He loves you more than everything he created. His love is directed to us, to those who believe. We're we're peacemakers, okay. But we're his sons and daughters. We really matter to God. He makes us royalty and family and priests. Revelation even teaches this, that that as children, we sit with him on his throne. If you're a believer, that's who you are. God has eternal love for you, perfect love for you. And we're the heir of all of his possessions. How much does God possess? We share in that. God says he works everything for our good. God works everything for our good. He patiently puts up with everything that we do. He puts up with our weakness and our sins, and He accepts us, and He provides for us. God forgives us and continues to forgive us and eternally protects us. Brothers and sisters, as we... 
as we think this idea of peacemaking and and the extent of what that means, we also need to consider carefully and wonderfully how massively amazing it is to be called a son, to be called a child of God. That is amazing. It just makes you want to just stand up and go, I'm a child of God. Which is something we probably ought to do. Amazing. If you're a believer here this morning or watching, you are a child of God. And you're a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. Father, I thank you that you have called us your children. And you, by your power and majesty, have brought us into a right relationship with you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would use us, that you'd stir our hearts to be peacemakers, to proclaim the gospel, and to be be witnesses of the greatness and power of what God has done through Christ. Use us wherever we go. And Father, I ask that you transform our hearts, that you continue to deal with those places where, where we haven't yielded, where we still hang on to our sin and our conflicts. Transform us by your word, by the power of your presence. I ask, Father God, that in our lives, we would be peacemakers that we would bring peace to our marriages and families and our businesses and work and society. A peace that's based on the righteousness provided by Christ's blood on the cross. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father, that you call us your children. In Christ's name, amen.